Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Glad you're here. Uh, Certainly happy to have all of you who are watching online. Thank you for doing that. And uh, we're in a series on the Beatitudes, and we call it the good life because really when you think about it, that's what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the very best life that his, his followers could possibly live and the qualities of their life. And when you look at each Beatitude, it ought to be, be a descriptive uh, quality of your life and mine. It ought to uh, highlight and underscore elements of our life that are real and are true about us. And what's interesting too about the Beatitudes is each one of those describes the life of Jesus. You get a little insight into who he is. So if you have a Bible, look with me in Matthew chapter five, and we'll kind of reset everything before we talk about the next Beatitude this morning. And in Matthew five, the Bible says, Jesus seeing the multitudes went up onto a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him, and now he opens his mouth. He teaches them, saying, and here's the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now remember, you could put in there poor in spirit, you could put one word, humble, humble. That's what poor in spirit means. And I told you before, it's interesting that when Jesus begins describing who he is and who his children should be, he begins by talking about the quality of humility. And it's so sad because spiritual pride becomes a a defining quality of many people who are Christ followers and who have been for some a period of time. It isn't long until you can forget the pit that he dug us from and the, and the rock that we are hewn from and we think we're something that we shouldn't be and we're better than others. And people sometimes after they've been Christ followers for a period of time aren't humble at all. And so Jesus is reminding us that if we are genuinely true followers of Jesus, that the humility should be a quality of our life. The second beatitude, we said not only is this idea of being poor in spirit and it speaks of the humility that we should express, but he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now remember, mourning is in the sense of the loss of a loved one, and we are comforted through that experience. But what Jesus is really talking about in this beatitude is mourning over the thing that separates us from God mourning over the sins that we commit that keep us from the fullness of God and from the fellowship we have with God. And so he says there should be a mournful approach to life where we recognize the fact that we're not perfect and uh, that whenever we don't confess and we're not walking in agreement with him, those areas of our life can keep us from enjoying his fullness and his fellowship. So that's the second beatitude. And then we said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now remember, meekness isn't weakness. Some people resist it because they're thinking that you're, you're to be a doormat, you're to let people run over you, talk down to you, and that's not it at all. He's saying meekness is controlled strength. I told you before that one of the qualities of a, someone who would break a horse back in the day, they would talk about the horse is now meek. Doesn't mean the horse is weak, it means it's meek. It means the horse has learned how to control itself. So when you as a Christ follower are humble and you are mournful and you are meek, it means you're under control. You know when to speak up and when to shut up. You know when to say what you should and not say what you should, uh, shouldn't. And so there's this quality of control 
that ought to be a characteristic of the life of a Christ follower. And then he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. I said, we all hunger and thirst for something. We came into this world looking for purpose and meaning. And when we are seeking God, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things you need will be added to you. So when we have a genuine hunger and thirst for right living and right thinking and right relationships, he said, I'll meet that deepest need. And then we took the next step, blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And certainly mercy should be on the leading edge of our ministry and all of our ministers. Uh, it ought to be a quality of every Christ follower. It's back to what I said about being humble or being prideful. So many times that churches and other Christians become very judgmental of other people. And people need mercy. They don't need judgment. Uh, judgment is what people in the world who don't even know God are equally and, and quickly to dispense but when a person connects and comes into the house of God, they ought to see mercy. And why we need to give mercy is because we need mercy. There's not a perfect one of us in the room. We all need mercy. And he said, if you are merciful, you'll get mercy. And so there's a great beatitude there. And today, we're gonna to talk about the next one in verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I just wanna to talk to you for a few moments about having a healthy heart. And what's interesting, when you think about the heart, he starts from within before he addresses the issues from without. And everything in your life and mine truly begins from within. God always puts the emphasis on what's going on inside of me more than he does on what's going on outside of me. What you believe is so important because it determines how you behave. And how you behave determines who you become. But it all starts with the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And you and I have to sometimes give great attention to our hearts. Let me illustrate it this way. When um, uh, Israel demanded a king and they said, God, we wanna be like all the other nations of the world, we want a king. And God was like, well, you've got me, I'm your king. And they said, no, no, we get that, but we wanna be still like all the other nations of the world. And so he said, well, who do you pick? And they picked Saul. And they picked him because he looked presidential. They picked him because he looked like a king. He looked like a leader. But the problem with the pick is they didn't consider his heart. They didn't consider the heart of Saul. On the outside, he looked good. He checked all the boxes, but he had a bad heart. And can I stop long enough to say, sometimes we go through life with that same kind of analysis and that same type of evaluation. We look at one another, we check off all the boxes, and we don't get to know one another to try to discern, is there a good heart? What about the heart of that person? What's going on inside of them? So when you get to 1 Samuel 16, God in essence is saying to Israel, you pick the last king, I'm gonna pick the next one. <laughs> and so Samuel the prophet goes among the sons of Jesse to pick the king. God said, it's gonna be out of the household of Jesse. And so all of the boys are brought up to the house and Samuel's looking them over and he's looking at Eliab and he's going, boy, that's a big, strong, strapping guy there, man. He could be a king. He looks presidential. He looks like the one. And yet the spirit of God didn't give him any leadership. Spirit of God didn't say, that's it, Samuel, you've got the one there, pick him. In fact, he didn't get any leadership on any of the boys that were lined up in front of him. So he's kind of perplexed and he looks at Jesse, the father, and he says, is this all the boys you have? There's no other sons that I can, and he goes, oh yeah, 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 there's, there's David. I mean, he's the runt of the litter. <laughs> you can't meet David. He's always the last one picked. You can't be David, he's out in the fields keeping mangy sheep. You can't mean him, and he goes, well, it's not one of these guys, if he's the last one, I gotta look him over. 
And so he calls for David. David shows up, and the Holy Spirit said, that's the king. And there's that incredible verse, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, that says, we look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, uh, first and foremost, that there's great power connected to our hearts. The first thing I would tell you is about the power of the heart. Why is the heart so important? And why does Jesus constantly emphasize throughout the Gospel of Matthew the significance of our heart? Let me give it to you. Proverbs chapter 4, 23, he says this, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart. He didn't say keep your life, our career, our money, our friends, our relationships. He said, keep your heart with all diligence. It's interesting because the expression, keep your heart, means set a guard around it. (laughs) It means build a moat around your heart. It means put a fence around it and electrify the fence and put a big mean dog in there behind the fence, kind of loosely translate. But it's the idea that you need to guard your heart. Why? Well, keep reading Proverbs 4.23, out of our hearts come all the issues of our life. Every issue of life comes out of our hearts heart. So he said, man, guard that heart, protect your heart, because everything about you is going to come out of your heart. Somebody says, Bill, man, the enemy is really after me. The enemy is attacking me. I feel like the enemy is after my job. He's after my career. Or somebody says, man, my car broke down. I just think the enemy, he's after my car. I don't get, somebody else says, man, I, I just think the enemy is after my health. I'm just struggling with my health. Or somebody else says, man, the enemy's after my kids. He's just after, and I want to say, well, wait a minute. The, the enemy isn't after your house. He didn't need your house. He ain't after your car. He didn't need to drive a car. He ain't after your job. He didn't want your job. And he sure isn't after your kids. You don't want them half the time. You know what he's after? He's after your heart. You know why? If you get your heart, he'll get your house. If you get your heart, he'll get your job. If you get your heart, he'll get your kids. You see, that's the the aftermath of the heart. The, The battleground is the heart. That's what the enemy is after right now. If he can affect your heart, out of your heart, Proverbs says, are all the issues of your life. So the whole battleground, man, I'm telling you, the whole battleground is your heart. Well, let me define it. What is my heart? What is your heart? Well, part of the heart is your mind. Your mind. He's after your mind. I've told you before, we came into the world head first. And every time you move from one dimension into the next, you go head first. You think yourself there. Your mind, my mind, is the most powerful thing God has given me. It's part of my heart. When the Bible speaks of my heart, when I trust Jesus with my heart, that means I've engaged my mind. Salvation is reasonable. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. So this idea of my mind, so guard your mind. Guard your mind. Do you ever think about what you think about? Because uh, the Bible says also in Proverbs, as a person thinks in their heart, so will they be. Uh, Translated another way, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. So you got to think about what you think about. I've shared this with you too. You go in the direction of your thoughts. You're here this morning because at some point you thought yourself here. You're watching online because at some point you thought about watching online. 
Every decision we make begins with our minds. We think about that. So the devil has trained his sights on my mind. In computer world, they talk about garbage in and garbage out. And I can tell you that's true of our mind. If you allow your mind to feed on the wrong things, and you allow your mind to dwell on evil things, then that's going to be the byproduct of your life. You will aim at what you're hit, you will hit what you're aiming at. And when your thoughts are going in a certain direction, your life will certainly follow it. So I'm saying, man, set a guard around your mind. That involves who I allow to influence me, who I allow to speak into my life. Not everybody's going to tell you the truth. And I'm just suggesting you, sometimes you have to guard your mind because somebody can pour garbage in your head and it'll start affecting your life. So think for yourself. Weigh it out. What do you know about this compared to what do you know about that? What do you know about this situation compared to what you know about? What do you know about that person and compared to what you know about this person? Think. <laughs> Think. It ain't rocket science. Don't let anybody else have control of your mind and bend you or shape you and make you or manipulate you into thinking certain ways. Guard <laughs> your mind. The second part of your heart is your emotions. Emotions, boy, they're powerful things. In fact, our emotions can often be all over the page. I mean, how many of us would be honest and say, we've had all kinds of emotions already today? I mean, it's 11.42 in the morning and we've already had tons of emotion. You woke up with an emotion. The alarm clock went off, right? Isn't it funny how they call it an alarm clock? You wake up alarmed. It's a bad way to start your day. And so you have an, you have an emotion associated with an alarm. And then depending on things go in the morning and how things are running in the house, you can have another emotion. And depending on how the traffic is on the way to the church or how things are going in the living, you have an, I'm just saying emotions are all over the page. You and I are up one minute, down the next, happy one minute, sad the next, good one minute, bad the next. So emotions are everywhere. Listen, emotions are probably the shallowest part of our life. They probably are because they're so fickle. That's why Martin Luther once said, feelings come and feelings go, emotions. Feelings come and feelings go. He said, feelings are deceiving. My warrant, what I rely on, is the word of God, not else is worth believing. He said, sometimes you have to go back to the head when the emotions are deceiving you. You say, I'm thinking one way, but I'm feeling another way. Well, base those feelings on the facts. And when you base the feeling on the fact, you get a new feeling. <laughs> It'll come around. It'll happen. I know people, do you know people who have a very high IQ, but a very low EQ? They're highly intelligent, but they're so emotionally unhealthy. I know a lot of people that way. And, and, and it's, it's evident in how they treat other people, how they manipulate the truth, how they're, uh, uh, they're not aware, they can't read a room. They're, very, uh, uh, they're not aware even of their self. They have no self-awareness. Very intelligent, low EQ. Here's the problem with someone who has a low EQ. Uh, they tend to attract other people with low EQs. Emotionally unhealthy people tend to draw in emotionally unhealthy people. So if you have an emotionally unhealthy person that is manipulating, the, typically the people that will follow after an emotionally unhealthy person are emotionally unhealthy people. It's not rocket science. It's true in relationships. You remember in the movie, Jerry Maguire? Yes, Cindy made me watch that back in the day. Jerry Maguire, you remember that line from Jerry Maguire where he says, or she said, or somebody said, you complete me. You remember that? All the women swooned. 
you know. But can I tell you this morning, if, you, if you're not a whole person, there's not an individual in the world who can complete you. In fact, you'll bounce from relationship to relationship. You will bounce from situation to situation looking for someone to fill a void in your life that no one can fill. If you're not healthy in and of yourself, if you're, if you're not a whole person, um, a person of integrity, interesting, the word integrity is a mathematical word, integer, it's a whole number. So if you're not a whole person, a person of integrity, a whole person, then some other person can't make you whole. Two half people don't make a whole person. Two half individuals don't make a whole relationship. It takes a healthy person and another healthy person to make a healthy relationship. Because there's not enough people out there to pour enough emotion into you to make up for what is lacking. And I'm not being hard on you, I'm just saying we all struggle with it. We all sometimes need someone to help us with our emotional health. Sometimes you need to talk to a professional, swallow your pride. Well, I can't talk to a counselor. Well, do you, when your car breaks down, do you fix it yourself? Oh, you do? Well, that's good. Uh, when you're sick, do you medicate yourself? Well, oh. when you need legal advice, do you advise yourself? <laughs> I'm just suggesting you that we seek help in every area of our life except for the emotions. And there's some of the most significant part of how God has wired us. So I'm just saying, feel what you feel when you feel when you're feeling it, but make sure your emotions are healthy. There's a way to have healthy emotions. There's a way to feel those and express those and to understand those. And so many people neglect that part of your heart. He said, guard that. That's important. So you have my mind, my emotion. The third part of your heart is your will. What you do, what you, what, what you act on, what you do out here. And what you do out here, remember, is determined by what happens in here. So the heart, guys, don't miss this. The heart is a powerful, powerful thing. One of the things that uh, David wrote about in, in Psalm 24, verse 3, he said, who will ascend into the hill of the Lord or who will stand in his holy place? David was envisioning the place where God dwells. Now, this was before the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because Jesus hadn't yet gone to the cross. He hadn't yet ascended. The Spirit of God hadn't yet descended and sealed people at, as he did after the day of Pentecost. This was an Old Testament reference. And so he was seeing God as distant and he's saying, who can enter into the presence of God? And then he answers the question, people who have a pure heart and who have clean hands. Meaning out of my heart comes my action. And when my heart and my action are in agreement with one another, he said, I enjoy God's presence. Here's the problem, second thought. The heart can get poisoned. My heart and your heart can get poisoned. Good hearts can get poisoned. Good people get sick. Good hearts can get poisoned. My mind can get poisoned. My emotions can get poisoned. My will can get poisoned. Remember what Jesus was concerned about in John 14 when his apostles knew he was about to go to the cross? Jesus knew they were going to face persecution. He even said, when the shepherd is smitten, the sheep will scatter. He knew what was going to come up. He knew these guys were about to face some enormous problems when he went to the cross had that resurrection and ascended to his father, he now would be with them in spirit, but he wouldn't be with them as he used to be. Not in person. Not in person. So they were about to enjoy and about to experience a whole new dynamic of life. And he was worried about them, and they were, they were troubled is the word he used. You remember what he said in John 14, 1? Let not your hearts be troubled. 
Look, he didn't say let not your life be troubled. We, we kind of unpacked this after Cindy went to heaven. And what God taught me of the many things he taught me is I can have a lot of trouble going on out here. I can have a lot of things happening out here as long as it doesn't get in here. You can have a lot of pressure in your life. You can have a lot of problems in your life. You can have problem people in your life. You can have difficult circumstances in your life. It's okay, you, but you, you, man, you gotta keep that out here. What happens is when your troubled life becomes a troubled heart. That's why he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let, don't let this out here get in here. Because when it gets in here, it, it can change you. It, it can poison you. Have you ever known anyone who at one point were so sweet, and now you talk to them and they're so cynical? Have you known anyone that at one point were so loving and, and, and trusting, and now they're just bitter. I mean, it's, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just saying that's the reality of life. Remember the old saying, hurt me once, shame on you, hurt me twice, shame on me? One of the greatest things God gave us is self-defense. It's a mechanism that we all have. We just reflexively, our, our impulse is to protect ourselves, and, and that's understandable. But what happens sometimes is that thing that God gave us to protect us can actually work against us if you're not careful, and here's what I mean. I mean by that whenever your heart has been broken and you've been betrayed, and who among us is not? Jesus had 12, and one of them was a betrayer. So you're going to get burned. Don't be shocked. I can't believe that person actually betrayed me. I can't believe that person actually, oh, come on. Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, again, Judas is sitting at the table. He's the betrayer. Jesus is the perfect son of God, and he had a betrayer. So as messed up as you and I are, don't think that we're going to go through this life without having people, uh, you know, hurt us, and, and we're going to hurt people. Not intentionally, but inevitably, it happens. And I'm just saying, when that goes down, here's what the tendency is. The tendency is to say, never again. Never again. I won't give my heart to anyone. I won't trust anyone. I see it in church world all the time. Well, I got hurt in church. I'll never go to another church again. Or somebody will say, well, you know, I got burned in that relationship. I'll never have another relationship again. And I get that. You're talking out of emotion. I understand you're hurt when you're saying that. And you have to give people enough room to be hurt. You got to let people say some things. They may not even mean all that they say when they're saying it. Psychologists will tell you if you can get people to talk about what they think about, a lot of times they won't believe what they just heard themselves say. Have you ever just dwelt on something until you said it and you think, that sounds stupid? I don't think I really believe what I just heard myself say. And I've told you before, I don't believe everything I've ever said. So I'm just saying, since that's true about every one of us, the tendency we have is to isolate and insulate and say never again, which is impossible. Jesus even told his apostles on one hand, he said, it's not possible to live life without offenses. You're going to be offended. You're going to offend people. You can't live without offenses. It's, my dad used to say that, you know, there's, you can't keep your, uh, what is it? Um, if you don't want your little feelings hurt, there it is. If you don't want your little feelings hurt, he'd say, don't have little feelings. <laughs> have bigger feelings. And so I'm just suggesting to you that you can't go through life and not have our feelings hurt from time to time. It's just, but what you don't want to do is you don't want to isolate and insulate. 
God designed us as relational beings. In Romans, it says none of us live to ourselves, none of us die to ourselves. We need each other. And when you pull in and you insulate and isolate, say, I won't get involved, I'm not going to do that again, I'm never having any more friends again, and all of a sudden, look, what happens is now what's out here now, it's in here now, and now you've tried to guard your heart and protect your heart, and you put your heart in a cold steel vault to keep it isolated and insulated, but it isn't long until your heart starts taking on the characteristics of its surroundings. Your heart can become cold and hard and dark. Good people. In fact, when you read Ephesians chapter 4, listen to what he said. He said in Ephesians 4, he said, we struggle sometimes with bitterness, with anger, with slander, with malice. Our hearts can get poor. These are good. He's talking to Christ followers here. He's saying that there can be some poison that can get into our heart and that can affect us. And so he says, guard your heart. All right, now track with me. You have the power of the heart. You have the poison of the heart. Here's the third one. There's the purification of the heart. How do I purify my heart? How do I keep that stuff out here when it gets in here? What do I do with it? What do I do with it? I'm cynical. I've got some bitterness on me. I've got a little anger issues going on in my life right now. How, how, okay, I, I'm, how, do I, how do I deal with that? Well, the key to it is in the word that Jesus used. Blessed, here's the word, are the pure in heart. The word pure in the Greek is katharos. Katharos. There's a medical word we get from that word called catheter. Blessed are the catheter. Blessed are the cathera in heart. Katharos. A catheter is designed to, re- to remove impurity from the body. To remove impurity from the body. And he's saying there is a way whereby you can remove the impurity from your heart, the katharos. Blessed are those who have, listen, the ability to allow the impurities of the heart to be removed, the katharos. You say, how do you do it? Back to Ephesians 4. He uses this expression. He says, get rid of bitterness and anger. And ra- get rid of katharos. Get, move that out. Move that out. And, how, and then he answers how you do that down in verse 32, the next verse under that, he says, by forgiving one another. You know what the word forgive means? Release. Katharos, the idea. Release. Get it out of your heart. What happens when your heart becomes poisoned is because you're holding something in your heart that needs to be released. That's not easy to do. You may not be ready to do that completely. Sometimes we hold on to people and we hold on to things because our fear is if we release them or we release it, they got by with it. And somewhere, sometimes in our mind, we feel like holding on to someone or holding on to something that's happened to us is a sense of justice. We're holding on because if I let that go, then they got away with it. But can I help you with that? If you belong to God, did you know no one gets by with harming any of his kids? The wheels of God's justice grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Do you know what? He's a lot better at handling that than we are anyway. Sometimes the best thing you can do when it's beyond your scope to fix it and it's beyond your scope to reconcile it, sometimes the best you can do is release it and give it to God. You say, I'm getting it out of me and I'm pushing it up. You know what prayer is? It's just pushing it to heaven. It's releasing it to heaven. 
is strength training. When the weight comes down on you, you push that weight right back up toward heaven. That's prayer. Here comes my problem pushing down on me. Here goes prayer. And before you're building some spiritual muscle. And I'm saying, man, this is not, I'm not saying this is easy. Barna did a study not long ago among confessing Christians and professing Christians and discovered that at least one-fourth of people who profess to be followers of Christ admitted they're having trouble forgiving certain people in their life. I understand that. And you may not be ready right now, but if I can move you an inch toward that, I'm getting you closer to getting healthy. If I can just move you a little bit. Because I'm saying when you hold on to things that God wants you to release, it's going to eventually have a greater effect on you than them. If you doubt me, make a fist and hold that fist as tightly as you can. And before long, your hand will hurt. Before long, your arm will hurt. Before long, your shoulder will hurt. Before long, your body will hurt. Because you're holding tightly to something that should be released. Have you ever thought about it? The international symbol for defiance is a closed fist. And the international symbol for grace and help is an open hand. Some people go through life like a tight fist, and they're just unhealthy. And they're just, and, and listen, I'm not judgmental. I'm saying when you peel a few layers of their life back and you hear their story, you might not blame them. There's some people, I, that's why I don't, I, man, I'm not critical. Of, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to help you. I'm not critical of what's caused you to close down, and I'm not critical of what's caused you to shut down. I, I understand that you may be reluctant to release them or release it, but I'm just saying at some point you're going to realize that what you're holding on to is hurting you more than it's affecting them. So at some point, get alone somewhere with God and give it to him and say, God, I know you love me more than I could imagine, and I know you care for me, and so, God, I'm, I'm, I'm releasing this. I'm getting rid of this, Ephesians 4. I'm releasing this to you. I'm going to trust you. And all of a sudden, what will happen is your heart will get healthy again. I love that 24th Psalm that David prayed. Uh, that's a great one, but that's not the one I was thinking about. The 139th Psalm. <laughs> How'd you like that cover that deal right quick? <laughs> 139th Psalm. And here's what he prayed. He said, search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. He said, see if there's anything in me that's not right and lead me into the way everlasting. You know what you got to do sometimes? Because our heart will, will, will lie. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful. The heart won't tell on itself. You, 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 so sometimes you need help. And, and David recognized that. That's why he said, search me, O God. Junior Hill was a great evangelist from many years ago, and he played college football, and, and he got banged up playing college football. And as he got older, he complained about his knee hurting all the time. He went to a lot of orthodox to try to look and see what was going on with his knee. And after a series of tests, one of the doctors says, Junior, there's nothing wrong with your knee, your hip is what the problem is. And he goes, Doc, you don't understand. My hips never bothered me. It's my knee. And the doctor says, who's the doctor here, Junior, you or me? You're a good preacher, but you don't know anything about health and, and fitness and our, our, our wellness. He said, you're going to have to trust me on this. So he finally agreed to have hip surgery. And you know what he said after his hip surgery? My knee never bothered me again. <laughs> what happens is sometimes we misdiagnose ourselves. 
we give attention on things that we shouldn't be given attention to, and we try to fix things in our life that aren't broken, and we miss, we miss what's going on. That's why David said sometimes we've got to get along with God, and I suggest we do it every day. We get along with him and just say, God, before I close this time in prayer, search me, know my heart. Is what's going on out here coming in here? Is the sweet person that I feel like I've been and the happy person that I've always tried to be, is there an edge now, a harshness, a critical spirit, an unhappiness? And if it is, I've allowed something or someone out there to get inside here. You remember what Isaiah said? No weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, he didn't say you won't have weapons formed against you. He said they won't prosper. You know why? You guard your heart. Guard your heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Never returns void. Always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And I pray, Lord, we'll, we'll all guard our hearts. There's not a person in the room or one watching online that hadn't been hurt by something or someone. Sometimes inadvertently, accidentally, unintentionally, but it happened. And now it just is what it is. So Lord, help us to recognize it. Help us to deal with it. Help us to protect our hearts. We need the catharos. We need the release from the heart. We need to get rid of the hostility, the anger, the bitterness. We need to turn it to you. So help us, Lord, as a people to have healthy, healthy hearts. And finally, Lord, I pray for my friends in the room and maybe those watching online who've never trusted you as Savior. I pray, Lord, this would be the moment when they pray a simple prayer like this and just simply pray and say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, be a reality in my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.